Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 264. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. Happy New Year to all of you. It's a pleasure to be back with you in 2020. That sounds so futuristic. Uh, at least it did when I was a kid. I never thought that uh, I would be sitting here talking into a microphone about audio in the year 2020. Uh not something I had planned on. Anyhow, I digress. Great to have you all back. I've got uh, Justin Perkins, mastering engineer Justin Perkins, back to join us to have a look back at uh, what's changed for him. Justin, of course, uh, runs Mystery Room Mastering in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he happens to do a lot of mastering and uh, metadata work for the License Lab, of course, a WCA sponsor. If you're on the mastering forums at all, he is one of the guys out there that I consider one of the one of the great minds out there. Any mastering questions I ever have, first person I go to, Justin. I have such a deep appreciation for his work. Uh, he, of course, has done a large variety of work for people like Michael Fronte and Spearhead, The Replacements, that, that whole new box set, um, The Mr. T Experience, uh, Screeching Weasel, uh, Bash and Pop, Jawbreaker, uh, their documentary, not a musical release, but... Uh, Anyhow, he does great work, and I'm super happy to have him back with us. Justin Perkins, coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's sit around and talk about whatever comes to my mind. Is that okay with you? I hope so. So I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but uh, I'm just getting over being sick. It's, you can definitely, uh, I can hear it. I can hear the nasal-like quality of my voice right now. And I uh, can feel it in the back of my throat. It's just, you know, kind of little, little different than normal. Anyhow, um, got sick in Michigan, thought I was going to get rid of it and come home and feel great. And, you know, we got back to the Bay Area and lo and behold, it got worse. And uh, temperatures started to flare up and all that. And so, yeah, I spent some time laying around sleeping. Um, also had some strange anxiety dreams about a, a remote recording gig I have coming up, a couple of them, and was just waking up like, oh my gosh, I forgot, you know, pick pick the thing that you shouldn't forget, you know, all the microphones, all the XLR cables, uh, whatever it is that one could forget, I was waking up periodically with these panic attacks over that, and I don't know where that comes from, but maybe it's just, you know, cold medicine and all that business, I don't know. Speaking of that, check all your cold medicines while you're at it, I rarely, rarely get sick. And in the event that it just seems like, okay, I really need a little extra boost here to help me sleep, I will, uh, you know, I'll take like, I don't know, Theraflu or something. So here I go, looking through the cabinet, knowing full well we've got it, and go in and discover that there's definitely some Theraflu, but then there's a bunch that are expired that are like from... I don't know, 2016? I couldn't believe what I was finding. I was like, who does this? Who, 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 who doesn't go through their medicines like this? 
And I just, I kept finding expired medicine after expired medicine. It was crazy. So I finally found some stuff that had just expired the month before. And I thought, okay, that's a safe bet. I can go with that. But that 2016 medicine, no, I was going to skip that. While I was sick, I was uh, fortunate to uh, watch a DVD. That's right, a DVD. I actually watched a DVD that John Cunaberti gave me. Former WCA guest John Cunaberti, he gave me, this was actually a birthday gift he gave me for my 50th birthday. Uh, it's called Bang, the Burt Burns story. And if you've never seen it and you don't know who Burt Burns is, and I'll just give you a clue, I didn't know who Burt Burns was, and I don't think John knew either. You'll watch it and you'll think, oh my God, this guy like had a bigger impact on some areas of music that I had no idea. So uh, I'll include a link in the show notes uh, to either, I, I won't link a DVD, but I'll, I'll links, I'll try to find somewhere where you can watch it. And if it's a DVD link, then so be it. But anyhow, the Burt Burns story, it's narrated by Stephen Van Zandt and uh, Paul McCartney's in it, Van Morrison, Keith Richards, Solomon Burke, uh, Sissy Houston, um, Ronald Isley, Ben King. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. It's on par with the, um, I think I mentioned the Clive Davis documentary that uh, is also good. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, yeah, I tell you what, what else happened. Gosh, you know, when I was sick, I had no idea this had happened because, you know, you get laid out like I did and you just don't want to do anything. I literally, I didn't want to go into the studio. I didn't want to, I didn't want to get on social media. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to be on the computer. In fact, all I wanted to do was binge watch Law & Order, I don't know why, Star Trek, and um, the 60s and 70s show that CNN put out years ago. I just watched all these shows that I never would watch uh, on a regular basis. My wife came in and was like, why are you watching all the Law & Orders? So anyhow, so I was watching all, this, uh, all these uh, serial TV shows, and at some point I thought, I wonder where the uh, download count is for the show randomly and i checked and lo and behold we had crossed the million download mark by you know several thousand uh because i hadn't bothered to check and was you know i was sick i was just not paying attention and so i am happy to report we have easily crossed over the million download mark and uh want to thank all of you of course for for helping in doing that Wow, what an, what an honor to know that uh, something that you create like that gets downloaded over a million times. It uh, gives one a good feeling, I have to say. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. That's, um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of got a, a, a little warm feeling when I saw that, and I thought, well, that's pretty good. I think, I think that's pretty good. I'm going to keep going, though. So never fear, as I always say, the time has not come yet to stop. So no, don't worry about that. We shall carry on. Nam is coming up. Yep, Winter Nam in January. I don't know why I like going to trade shows, but man, it just it gives me like uh, a burst of energy. And uh, believe me, I need a burst of energy right now after being so damn sick. Um, I will be there on, uh, I get in on, uh, let's see, I'll be there the 15th through the 19th, around that time, yeah give or take a, a few hours here and there. But if you are coming to NAM and you want to reach out, uh, just send me a message on LinkedIn. I'll have my phone. I'll, you know, monitor messages where I'm getting service. And if uh, you want to, you know, find me and say hello, you know, just send me a message and say, and say hey, it's whoever. Uh, can I, you know, come and, and meet you? I will be uh, 
I'll be hanging out in various places. So if you are going to be there, I want to invite you to join join me as well as my friends, uh, of course, Lid Shaw from Recording Studio Rockstars, Chris Graham from Six Figure Home Studio, Fela Davis uh, from The Art of Music Tech, and Larry Milburn from Roadie F- Free Radio. We are going to be doing a very fast one-hour uh, panel called The Power of Podcasting, and that is going to be inside the Anaheim Hilton on Level 2, California Ballroom A. And we're going to be doing that on Friday the 17th from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. I'll put uh, a link in the show notes. We created a Facebook event for it, so I'll link to that. Um, So don't, you know, don't wander around in the convention center thinking, oh, I'm going to find, you know, the power of podcasting panel. You got to head on over to the Anaheim Hilton and do it there. And that's where we'll be. And Larry's going to be our moderator. And Fela, Lidge, Chris, and myself, we're going to uh, all be talking about podcasting. And we'll just see where it goes. But it should be a good time. And like I say, that's on Friday, January 17th, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. So, um, yeah, stop on by. If you want to come and, and uh, chat with all of us, I'm sure, you know, the five of us can make time afterwards if, you know, we don't answer your questions or get out all the content that you want. I mean, it's an hour, so it's, it's going to fly by. But uh, that's where we'll be. We'll be hanging out at the Hilton that, at that point. So, yeah, the power of podcasting. So come check it out. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening to me. And uh, stay healthy, my friends. And uh, Happy New Year. And drink more coffee. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, They've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I've used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You can talk with me about it. 
As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffee's in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. All right, let's get to it. Justin Perkins here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Justin, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to see you and Happy New Year. Oh, Happy New Year to you too. And, you know, thanks for having me back. Well, you're our first guest of 2020. And uh, the last time we talked, I think you were on episode 156. And I want to say that was in 2017, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think it was late 2017. I'm not sure when it actually came out, but we d- I know we did it in late 2017. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, anyways, I'm super excited to have you back because I'm sure a lot has changed. I know a lot has, some things have changed for you. You've had some great successes along the way. And, you know, and we've had many conversations between Facebook Messenger and seeing each other at NAM. And I thought it'd be great to have you back. And I'm glad that you were up for it. So, well, I'm, I'm happy to do it. So let's talk about, since you've been on, what are the big changes that have taken place for you? Well, probably the biggest thing is I moved my studio over to uh, Daniel Holter's place, Wire and Vice. It's a fairly big building with a few studios in it, and he had an open room that was already built out. You know, some acoustic treatment. I added some of my own, and a friend of mine that works at GIK helped me play some acoustics and get it sounding really good. So I moved my my setup over to his place. That's probably the biggest change. And it's just been nice to have a place where clients can come in if they want to. I don't really do much attended session work, but sometimes people still need to drop things off, pick things up, things like that. So it's nice to have that kind of space. And I, I do still have a home setup because it's nice to be able to do things last minute or quickly, or I still actually, you know, I may do the bulk of the work the mastering work over there where the analog gear is. And I say over there because I'm actually doing this from my house this morning, but sometimes I may do the bulk of the work over there and then I can wrap up projects from over at my house, and give my ears a little break and do some of the more headphone listening, quality control, removing clicks and pops, all that kind of fun stuff. After the heavy lifting's done, I can do that from here. So it's, it's kind of been nice to have two different setups. The original setup was at your house in the basement, right? Yep. Yeah, so it's still, it still makes for a great listening room. I have a nice set of speakers here, a nice set of headphones, a nice interface, so I can still get quite a bit done down here. And it's especially nice in the winter when we get bad weather, if we get a foot of snow. If the timing is right, I can just sort of work from home that day and wrap some things up. It's not uncommon to get home from the studio and someone says, can I have this mastered tomorrow? And <laughs> there's been times where I've rolled up my sleeves and you know, I can just work in the box here and usually those masters get approved just like on the first or second revision, just like any other project. So it's just been nice to have, especially, you know, the world of mastering is so fast paced that sometimes you just have to be able to jump on things like that. It doesn't happen every day, but it's it's nice to have that option. And just to feel a little connected to the home life too. You know, I can come home from the studio, have dinner with my wife, 
relax a little bit. And then if I want to stay up late and work, I can just come down here and, and keep going. And for the audience, you're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah, Milwaukee. You know, my studio is about 15 minutes away from the house without traffic. But when you add in traffic and getting ready and other variables, the back and forth can eat up the better part of an hour. So there's some days where it's nice to just hunker down and stay here. And I know that people in LA and New York are not really sympathizing with me on that commute time, but it's time out of your day that you could be productive. So it's just really been nice to have that flexibility. So I don't even go to the studio over there every day, but it's nice. And then the other aspect to that is I have an assistant now who is able to prep mastering projects for me. When I'm not over there, he can be kind of analyzing files that came in and getting them organized and set up in the way that I like. So when I sit down to work, everything's just there and there's not a file missing or a a mix that the files cut off at the end because something happened or an obvious glitch that needs to be addressed before we start. So it's nice to have somebody preparing stuff while I'm not there. Well, so how do you go about finding an assistant to do that kind of detail work for you? Well, that was just a very lucky situation. It's a guy named Ian Alvera. I actually recorded Ian's band when I was working up in Green Bay about maybe almost 20 years ago now. He was still in high school, Hmm. and I've just remained in touch with him ever since. You know, he went to recording school, like a university, and got a degree, and has just always stuck around music. And it just kind of worked out that Daniel Holter was looking for an assistant for his studio. So Ian also does, you know, recording sessions in Daniel's room, Studio A at Wire and Vice. And it just seemed to make sense since Ian was already going to be there and have a key and alarm code. And I trusted Ian already, and he was interested in doing that. So it's a really nice situation when he can take a break from recording over there. He can walk over to my room and check out some files and get them prepared. But yeah, it is about finding the right person, you know, and that's... I would like to find an assistant for some other tasks, but it's hard to find the right person sometimes that you not only trust, but want to invest the time in showing them how to do things. Because as you're showing them those things, you're actually working slower. So it is a time investment. And we want to make sure you found the right person to invest that time with, that they're going to stick around and work out and do a good job. So again, that was just sort of a lucky you know, a long-term relationship that, and he actually moved to Nashville for a while. I think he did some stuff at Welcome to 1979, tried out Nashville for a little while, and then came back up to Wisconsin and landed in Milwaukee. So it was just all about timing and serendipity, I guess. You had mentioned to me that, that it was important to you that we talk a little bit more about diversification in this second interview. You want to expand on that and talk about how that's played an important role for you? Yeah, that's something I didn't really touch on last time, but, you know, all these things I'm doing now, I can trace back to easily 10 or 15 years ago. One thing that helped me get my mastering business full steam ahead is because it's hard to make that transition, I think, from mixing to just mastering because the timeline of mixing a song or album is so different from mastering an album because just the time difference that it takes. So I was having a very hard time juggling that because I didn't want to get bogged down in a, a long album or EP project and then have these sort of quicker turnaround mastering projects that also need to get done. So one thing that really helped me was I stumbled into some video post-production work. And it was just for these short, usually two or three minute videos, sometimes up to five minutes. But there's a company in town that they produce these short videos for other businesses, really. You know, they'll go to a financial firm or a, a hospital or some nonprofits, and they'll just kind of film what they do and interview the people. But usually the audio is not great because it's, you know, live location audio. It's hard to capture a presentable sound sometimes. So it's a lot of Isotope RX cleanup work and 
just kind of sweetening. And I stumbled into that kind of work because I took a, a live sound gig and I really don't like doing live sound. I don't advertise myself as a live sound person, but this is probably 2011 or 12. I got a text from the bass player of this band, The Promise Ring, who are from Milwaukee. And they were kind of big in the 90s. They started the whole emo punk thing. And they were doing some reunion touring type stuff. And he sent me a text to see if I wanted to mix their show at this thing called Summerfest in Milwaukee. It's pretty like, it's like 11 day music festival in the summer on the lake. It's pretty nice, pretty big bands. And he asked if I'd mix their show. And initially I was like, no way, I'm, I have no business doing this. But I thought about it for a minute and I'm like, maybe it would be nice to get outside and get some sun and see some people get out of my cave. So I said, sure, I'll mix the show. Knowing that Summerfest has, each stage has their own sound person. So it's not like I had to do everything, really just mixing the show. So I did that and that led to doing more work with the Promise Ring in the live realm. Not much, but you know, every few months we'd do a long weekend of, they'd have some shows and I would do live sound. And it was because their other tour manager slash live sound person couldn't do it anymore. So just saying yes to that one thing led to not only some fun long weekends of doing live sound, and they're all nice venues where there's a, a house sound person. Mm -hmm. and I, I don't even think I touched a microphone in my couple year on and off trips with those guys. You know, it was all just hand them an input list. What's the nice theater in San Francisco? One of the big ones. Uh, the Warfield? Not that one. Uh, the Fillmore? Yeah, we did the Fillmore. It was a lot of like nice theaters and then festivals. It was fairly easy work. And the main thing with that is they wanted somebody that knew their songs, knew the material, when to turn things up and down. Because, you know, you get to a festival or a, a house sound person and they don't always know the material. So they, they can get a good general mix, but they don't know when this person's backing vocals are supposed to be more lead vocals and things like that. And that can really help the show out. So anyways, I, I don't like doing live sound, but I said, sure. And it turns out that the drummer in the in the Promise Ring, his main day gig now is he works for a, a media company that produces these videos. And he was saying how they're a little too busy to handle the audio of it because they don't really know audio very well and they're just, they have too many projects. So they wanted to outsource that. So I probably never would have got that opportunity if I would have turned down that, doing that live sound thing. Yeah. In saying yes to that one live sound gig, which is pretty quick and painless, you know, that led to a solid five years of quite a lot of these video projects. And what I liked about them was they were sort of in harmony with mastering projects because they didn't take very long. They took maybe a couple hours, especially once I got really kind of fast at them and good at them and developed a workflow. I could knock these out pretty quickly. And they were not very picky usually because the audio usually sounded so mediocre at best. The fact that anybody put a little time into cleaning up some of the background noise and adjusting the levels. They were usually very happy with how the new version sounded. So not many revisions. And we got in a great workflow where we didn't really have to discuss much. It was just like, here's the files. Let me know when you can get them done. It wasn't like working with a new client every time we have to explain a lot of things and here's what I need and super streamlined. Do you still do that work? Yeah, well, they've, they've slowed down a little bit. They've transitioned into more longer form videos. And for that, they send it out to like a post-production house. Um, for a number of things, you know, color correction and like a surround mix. Where these videos I'm speaking of, they were more for web use. People would put them on their website and that just really has to be a stereo mix. You know, I don't have surround capabilities, but it really helped me hone my RX skills. And it was a nice break on my ears for music because it's mainly just dialogue. And anyways, I just really, that kind of work really helped me lock down my mastering business too, because it was really, I don't want to say easy, but it was, nice, it was a nice income 
way to like supplement the mastering business. And it really helped me say goodbye to recording and mixing. I felt like if I had this much work like that coming in, I really don't need to be mixing albums anymore or be tempted to mix albums. Because towards the end there, you know, I would get an email from a band I really liked and had worked with before, and I would kind of think about it and like, I really want to mix this, but I know that when I say yes and it comes down to it, it's going to be kind of a a calendar crunch, and I'm going to sort of regret having this on my plate and in the back of my mind. Because, you know, inevitably, I... I would carve out a window to mix an album and then it would just get filled up with mastering things that needed to be done like tomorrow because the release show is already set and stuff like that. Those uh, video projects were a great way to just fill time, supplement growing the mastering business. And so, yeah, that's slowed down quite a bit because they're doing the long form stuff. But that did lead to uh, mixing the a documentary for that band Jawbreaker. They're from the 90s as well, but they recently re- doing reunion stuff and The documentary was a long process and it changed producers a couple times, but Dan from The Promise Ring ended up being the final producer that got it over the finish line. So he had me mix the audio for that. So that was kind of a nice, you know, after doing years of these sort of dry videos for banks and (laughs) hospitals to sort of have something to bring it back around to music again was great with the Jawbreaker thing. And it, it finally came out on Netflix recently and... In reality, it's not like I was digging a ditch or like doing some real dirty work. I just had to go to a nice summer festival and do sound and not screw it up. So just things like that. You just never know what you're going to walk into. Yeah. I've, I've often talked about, as you said, getting out of your cave, I, you know, cave hole, wherever it is you're working. And comfort zone. Comfort zones, yeah. And meeting people and saying yes to certain gigs because you end up with a gig that lasts for a number of years. Yeah, that's led to a lot of stuff. And then, you know, the same thing happened not at the same time but similarly like i had played some bass with tommy stinson of the replacements Mm -hmm. before you know a band i was in has backed him up one january his manager said hey he's doing a four-day thing and it starts in milwaukee do you want to do sound for that and again i'm like oh i'm not a live sound person it sort of intimidates me but i looked at the venues and they were nice enough where i knew there there would be a good house person that i could lean on and i just said sure because it was middle of january my mastering schedule wasn't really as full as it is now. So I said, I can take four days out of here and do that. As it was leading up to that, his bass player said she couldn't do it anymore. So then I got the call, can you play bass instead of do live sound? I already had the time blocked off and I already knew a lot of the songs. So I said, sure. I did that. It was fine. But that really ramped up to him reforming his old band, Bash and Pop. Next thing I know, I'm in a band again with that has an album out on uh, Fat Possum Records did that album. So then I'm in this mix of like an actual band that's going from long weekends to a little bit of touring. And you know, eventually I had to drop out of that because I, I just can't go on tour or be gone for that long. But that led to a number of other opportunities as well. Just being in that band and getting to know some of the people involved in that team and things like that. So again, you just I think it's good to just get out of your comfort zone once in a while. Yeah. Um, Especially if you're looking to expand and change things up. Maybe if you're at the end of your career and you just want to keep riding that wave, that's that's fine. But if you're a little younger and hungry to grow, I mean, it's... But I think it really comes down to if it feels good in your gut and in your heart to do it. I certainly said no to many live sound things and things that were out of my comfort zone. But once in a while, if something just feels too good to say no to, maybe just say yes and try it out. As long as your expenses and time is at least covered somewhat, 
I think it's worth doing and you, you don't know what it's going to lead to. That's just something I learned as I was kind of growing my business. And then even back when I was in high school and, and stuff, just playing in bands, I didn't realize I was doing it, but going out and playing shows, you're just meeting people. And I probably can't even count how many recording gigs I got back in the day, just from being at a show and bumping into people that need, need work done. How has mastering business as a whole been since we last spoke? It's been really great, actually. I mean, every year is better. I just, going on 10 years of officially having a mastering business according to the government, like paying taxes and being proper about it, 10 years now, and every year's been better than the, the previous. And some of that is from building systems. I think I mentioned this last time, but my website guy has just been amazing. And that's another person that I just randomly met because my wife had a like a dessert party. I'll spare you the story, but someone I randomly met at a party and not even like a party party, just a gathering and got to know him and he built this website for me. And I had this vision of making a website where at any time during the day, anyone in the world can submit a project and all the resources are there for them to know what I need, know what they need to tell me, submit the information and the files. And if they want to call me or email me, they can. And I think it's because of how I am personally. If I'm on the hunt for something, and the website says, send us an email and we'll call you sometime and talk about it. I'm probably not going to buy that product. But if I see a website where all the information's there and I can get it going and I can know the price, I think that's a good thing to have. So that's been really helpful for me is just having a, a website that allows for projects to come in so easily. And I still do a lot of word of mouth projects and people find me organically and from being in the Milwaukee music scene for so long. There's still all of that, but having a website has really been able to bring in a whole different set of projects that I never really imagined until it happened. Is your website, the frictionless environment of your website, do you think that's really helped the business come in? Yeah, you know, it really has. And it, it really just started out of me getting tired of sending the same email over and over. Like, here's information. I'm like, man, if there was just a form on my website where people could just tell me this stuff, and it just kind of grew from there. And I know that the form is a little bit lengthy and wordy and detailed, so that is a little bit of friction. But at this point, I'm at a comfortable workflow where I'm okay with that friction. There's always the option to just email me to discuss outside of that, but I certainly it's not uncommon to wake up in the morning and all of a sudden there's a project from someone I've never heard of or spoken with. It's just the, the information's there and... Ian can start prepping it. I can make sure everything looks good and just get quicker turnaround times and, and things like that. So again, that's just been really helpful and something that, again, was sort of built out of somewhat accidentally out of necessity and it's sort of turned into a real a real useful asset. Yeah. Well, like you say, it gets to be a pain in the ass to send the same email over and over and over again. Yeah. And, and since then, I, you know, I have email templates and all this workflow stuff to help me get from point A to point B faster, but you know, it's all a work in progress. I would love to take a week off and just work on that stuff. I know I need to be better about that, but the time just seems to get eaten up with, especially around the holidays right now. It's like, it's been a while since we've had a normal full week of just getting stuff done. Yeah. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link 
get your 30% off and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. So your move over to the building that uh, Wire and Vice is in, Daniel Holter's building, former WCA guest Daniel Holter, I also should mention, and also Daniel's part of the License Lab, a uh, WCA sponsor. How has that affected your business? Well, that's a good question. It's been a positive thing because he's really ramping up his studio right now for bands and sessions and stuff like that, where it used to be more of a, I don't want to say private, but it was really bogged down with doing production music for the License Lab. And it was kind of set up in a way where only Daniel and Ian kind of knew how to get things happening in the control room. But in the last year, he's put in a new console and it's a little bit more walk-in friendly. There's certain producers and engineers that can record there now. So for me, it's been nice just to sort of interface with bands that are recording there, you know, in the hallway. When I go to the bathroom or something, they might be out in the hallway working on a part or on their laptop waiting for someone else to record their stuff. So it's been a positive in that way where I can just sort of organically run into bands that may need mastering when they're done mixing over with Daniel and Ian and things like that. And just to have more of a visual presence in the in the local music community instead of hiding away in my basement here. Because I think sometimes people think maybe you're too busy to work on their project, things like that. So just just being a little bit more visible, actually visible to those people that are working there has been great. Again, the ability to have attended sessions. I mean, I'm, I'm working with a guy now that's perhaps a little older and actually doesn't use email or text or anything like that. Hmm. He drove up from uh, down by Rockford, Illinois, and brought his mixes to me on physical CD. Wow. You know, he had one of those old school recorders where all you can do is burn it to a disc. Right. And uh, so he, he had a CD for every song. Every song came on its own CD. And having a commercial facility like that, it just, I think, looks and feels better. Because it's it is a really nice space and it's it's in a nice neighborhood where if people do want to come in, there's bars and restaurants, places to walk, a little park. So it's just a real positive area to be in. But you know those cases where people do need to come in or want to come in, I'm getting people that want to listen to their test pressings on my system because they may not have a turntable or they may only have like a Crosley from Target that is probably going to have playback problems <laughs> even on a good record. So they kind of want to come in and hear it on a a decent turntable that's properly set up and things like that. All that's easier to do there instead of being at my house. It feels a little weird to have clients over for me. Now, I think my end goal maybe in maybe in 10 years is to have a a garage with a studio above it or something like that on, on my property. That's kind of the ultimate goal that's to have at some point, but that's not going to happen anytime soon, but eventually that'll be it. But to have someone come in your like actual basement, it's just a little strange. <laughs> to me. So we talked, as we said, late 2017, you've moved your mastering setup, your primary setup over to Wire and Vice, to their building, and yet you still have an in-the-box setup at home. Has that caused you to revisit the inevitable conversation of, do I really need to have a bunch of analog gear? Could I get by with an in-the-box setup? And seems like you're, it's just a decision of where you're at, whether you're working at home that day or whether you're working at the outside facility. Yeah, you know, it has caused me to revisit that. And it's not always about sound. I mean, I do feel a little more comfortable with certain types of music, dialing it in with 
leaning more on the analog gear. But even when I'm over there, I'm using a hybrid setup of plugins and analog gear. And even when I'm over there, not everything goes through the analog gear. Mm-hmm. It really just depends on what it sounds like and what it needs to sound like. I did an acapella album recently that certainly did not need any analog gear or noise or anything like that. But for me, it's just about tools and workflow. I still have an easier time getting the end result, even though there's a lot of great sounding plugins. I have an easier time getting to the end results with analog gear. And especially if you're working at 96K and using what I would call mastering great plugins, by the time you get that dialed in, the rendering time can be pretty long, even with a nice computer. So I like the fact that I can, when I'm working analog, I can dial everything in and then print it and maybe go take a walk, you know, take the dog for a walk while that's printing, because that's a real-time process. And then come back and check for all the clicks and pops and clean everything up and dial it up. And whether I do that at the studio or my home setup, that's real easy for me to do. So I like separating it out into two processes like that. So when I do that workflow, let's say I use my analog gear and the band wants one little tweak, my rendering time is significantly shorter if I don't have to re-render all those heavy-duty mastering plugins. At least with you know with the software I use, the rendering time can take a little while. If it's just a quick tweak like, oh, we love it, but can you make it a little louder? I'm not redoing my analog work at that point. I'm just adjusting the limiter slightly, usually, and then I can render a new version of the master fairly quickly from that point. It's not a huge process anymore. I'm sure video editors can relate to that too. You know, If you are doing video work, I know those can take a while to render. The client wants one little change. You know, your computer has to recrunch that whole session and that can take, renders can take a while. When you're at mastering, I'm usually working at 96K. Everything's just a little more CPU intensive. That's a lot different than opening up a, a Pro Tools session at 44.1 of one song. Usually we're talking about EPs and albums that are anywhere from 20 to 40, 50 minutes. So I like having the the heavy lifting kind of locked in with the analog gear and then finishing it off digitally. Mm-hmm. But you know, there are those there are those times when I do work all in the box and it is what it is. I would say it's I don't know the right ratio, but aside from the sound, it's also about workflow and things like that. Well, I still like to use analog gear, but if my studio burned down tomorrow, I would probably make different decisions and perhaps have a little more slim down analog setup. Yeah, it's just different tools depends what it needs yeah a lot of a lot of factors come into play in today's world too you know i was on a trip last year and something came in and it was urgent and i had my portable rig with me you know a nice converter a nice set of headphones and it was a matter of it had to be done so i already had a kind of a day off of my vacation almost the reverse vacation because i had to do a little grading for school so i told i was like hey i you know i can't hang out today on this vacation i got to do this and Anyways, I did that project and they approved it on version one. They're very happy with it and have sent me more projects since. So I think we just have to be so ready for anything. I guess I could have said no too, but I I like to work. I have a hard time with vacations that are more than four or five days. I just want to get back to work. I don't know if that's healthy or not, but that's just what I do. Well, and I think the client's going to tell you whether or not there's a problem. Yeah, I mean, they there was no problems. They're super happy with it. They were happy to have it done on time and... Again, they've they've sent me more projects since, so they must have been happy with it. And to me, I just, headphones have gotten so good too now and plugins, and I just don't feel like, sometimes when I'm at my studio, I use headphones, you know, not so much for tone, but again, that quality control aspect. 
To me, it's just about it's customer service and making sure everyone's happy. I never charge. I never send an invoice until the client's happy. I know some people bill up front and there's pros and cons to both. And maybe as I get older, I will start billing up front. But I think some of that comes from my growth phase where I wasn't super confident. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm, I just want to make sure they're happy. And then we'll talk about the price. I might consider changing that policy, but Again, it just went really well. So it's, it's hard to say where things will go with that, but I just like having the option to, to be able to do both right now. Compared to when we last spoke to now, have you had any great revelations as far as how you should be running your business at all? A little bit. I think what I, I've just sort of been doubling down and expanding on things I already had in place. You know, one other thing that's been great since we last talked is the the other podcast, what I call the other podcast in audio is the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. Mm -hmm. I really like what they do because you can almost apply those practices to any creative arts industry. Yeah. They've really opened my eyes to some things that I should do, could do better, have been doing but didn't realize it and can now do better or things I shouldn't do. So that whole podcast, for anyone that hasn't listened to it, you should definitely check out the Six Figure Home Studio. I just think that, and you're both podcasts that I never knew I needed in my life. And even if you would have said, do you, would you enjoy something like this? I might've said, uh, maybe, but seeing it in action is just, what you guys are doing is just so valuable for the audio community. Not just now, but I think there's going to be at least a generation or two where all this stuff is going to apply to them as well. I hope so. This is coming up more and more and more, but Brian and Chris are doing a fantastic job with Six Figure. Once again, put a link in the show notes because I have also said this in that their podcast is one podcast I listen to, not religiously. I definitely don't do that. But when I want to listen to another podcast, I immediately go to theirs. Right. And it took me a little while to warm up to them and their their energy. It's very intense. But, yeah. you know, I, either they've adjusted that or I've gotten used to it, but it's great. Sometimes I wonder where I might be right now if I had your podcast and their podcast when I was just kind of starting out because I really landed in this industry by accident, you know, just out of necessity. I just always loved playing music and that led to being in the studio recording bands I was in and then eventually other bands. And there's a million stories very similar to that, but that just kind of all happened really organically. And there's something cool about that, but I still wonder if I would have had podcasts like yours and, and the other one to sort of enhance growth earlier on. But back then I was just doing it more day to day, month to month, just to kind of put off getting a normal job. And now this is my day job really. But you're also doing some teaching as well. Yeah. And I, I try to start and end my semesters by mentioning your podcast and, and Six Figure Home Studio because I tell my students, if I had this when I was your age, I can't even imagine how helpful that is. And I try to explain to them what a good asset that is and how just it's a treasure trove of, of knowledge and you guys are still doing it every week. And that's the other thing I like about your podcast is every week you can count on it. Even if I get sick, you can count on it. Exactly. You, you guys are just amazing at, at what you do. But I actually started teaching right after we spoke last, the last time I was on. And it was one of those things where it was December on a Friday night and it was too cold to go out and do stuff in Wisconsin. So I was on my laptop and a friend of mine that works at the school posted they were hiring part-time. And I said, you know, it's been a while since I even tried to see if I'm hireable in the real world. A while back, I tried to work at, you know, it's like, can I work at the Apple store one day or two days a week just to just do something different? At least at the time they were doing insurance for part-timers, you know, health insurance. Mm-hmm. So for those listening outside of the U.S., that's unfortunately 
a reason why a lot of people hang on to jobs they don't like or have a part-time job is just just to get your foot in the door at a doctor. And it's still expensive, but if you don't have insurance, it's even worse. So anyway, I uh, just put in my application to work at this tech school, Milwaukee Area Technical College, to teach audio part-time. And I was like, I mostly did it as an experiment. Like, let's just see if I'm even hireable in the real world. You know, after a couple interviews, I was like, okay, well, if they offer it to me, I have to take this job just because I've invested so much time in the interview process. You know, I'm going to at least try it out see if I like it. Again, get out of my comfort zone a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that I did like it. At first, I was teaching intro to audio software, which was great for me because I was learning how to be a teacher, right? I didn't know how the school worked, how the infrastructure worked, you know, just how to be a teacher regardless of the subject. So that was a great way for me to just get my feet wet teaching because mm -hmm. you know, those intro classes are pretty basic. It's basically like, here's what Pro Tools looks like. Here's how you make a track. Here's how you edit some stuff. We don't even record and eventually they record, but it was very basic stuff. And then we do the same thing with Logic Pro. And then a couple semesters later, the person that was teaching the mastering class was unable to do it anymore. And we didn't know if that was going to be permanent or temporary, but turns out that it's permanent. So now I'm only teaching the mastering class and... Once in a while, I'll do an intro class if they have a lot of students and need, need help covering that. But I'm trying to keep it to one day a week just because, just for time reasons, I just can't, even if it's a two-hour class, just going in there and all that, that's at least a half a day kill it. And then when the weather's bad and all, it just, so this coming semester, I'm doing actually two mastering classes back-to-back -back on Thursdays. So just be one right after the other, because the program's actually really popular they have a lot of students and they're trying to meet that demand. So they're actually hiring someone to get another person. And so I do like, I like doing it, but I can't do it full time. But it's something I want to keep kind of my foot in the door because there may come a time in 10 or 15 years where I want to do that full time and not have my own business. I've heard other people on this podcast even say it, sometimes it's nice to just show up and get a paycheck and then yeah, clock out. But when you own your own business, there's really no clocking out. I think Dirk from Plugin Alliance had a funny post. He said, when you own your own business, there's no holidays. You get holla hours at best. You know, you can sneak away for a couple hours, but there's always something to be tended to. I know that I could do better with the uh, the work-life balance thing. I'm not, not doing a great job right now, but it's something to improve on. A New Year's resolution, maybe. What are your fears about the world of audio and business and your future? Well, I think some of my fears tie into not necessarily why I'm teaching, but why I was interested in teaching just to open up another avenue of potential career. But really, I just, I've seen this happen with other engineers, especially when in the 90s, when Pro Tools came around, there was a certain demographic of engineers that just didn't want anything to do with Pro Tools and then were complaining that they didn't have any work. And they just couldn't find any work. And here I was in the year 2000, I was probably 19 or so. I was just getting started. And I'm like, what are you talking about? There's no work. There's tons of bands, but you have to know Pro Tools. Your rate from the glory days of engineering may be a little less, you know, when the music industry had huge budgets, but there's plenty of work. You just need to sort of adjust your mindset. So I guess my fear is you know, I just want to stay relevant and stay in tune with how the music industry is changing because it's going to change. And that's another thing I like about teaching is it helps me understand how younger people are consuming music, appreciating music, how they view music and how they value music. 
I get kind of a closer view of that just during lab time when they're talking about stuff or before or after class, just sometimes little comments the students make can resonate with me. I'm like, oh, I should adjust how I think about this. It's a nice radar to have, but I just mostly want to make sure that I don't get to be in my 50s and 60s and I only know one band that actually plays music anymore and the rest of them are retired or expired or just not doing music anymore. And then I wait around for that one mastering project every year for the one band that's still playing music that I know. I, mean, I know that's a little extreme, but I think you get what I'm saying. I don't, I don't want to get to a point where I have no, I can't really relate to any of the people that are creating music that would need mastering. Yeah. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. You're very active on the mastering on the public forums, like the one on Facebook, Mastering Engineers Worldwide. Do you get value out of out of participating in some of these forums? Well, it's, it's funny you mention that because maybe a month or two ago, I actually left all those audio groups because it was getting to a point where it was consuming a lot of time. And, you know, I learned things from them too, but I would try to help people, especially with certain things, with certain software that I use or, or test for and stuff like that. Hmm. I forget what it actually was, but I, you know, I was trying to help somebody or do something and there was just like the classic dickhead response to something I said. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have time for this. And if that's what's going to happen, I just, I just don't need this in my life right now. And it was kind of a busy, I had a very busy fall and I just felt like that was becoming a a distraction more than helping. Mm -hmm. And I may, I may join back in the, you know, we'll see what the new year brings, but I did enjoy helping people. I think it was just this one thing that sort of triggered me to be like, you know what? I don't need all this. I I kind of removed myself and not just the forums, but even some of the plugin and software companies have their own own user groups. And I do have a a group for WaveLab users because that's the main mastering software I use. And I I still kept that going because I've started it. And if people really need help from me in that realm, they can find me there. And people know how to email and message me at this point. And you know, I've checked in on it a few times and I've been tempted to rejoin to say something or other, but I just I just had to take a step back. And at least at the time, again, it was a very busy fall and I just didn't need that in my life. But I don't know if I answered your question. Well, no, I mean, you've changed your approach to it by not participating in most yeah, of those forums. Not, yeah, and it wasn't like I'm afraid of giving away secrets or 
someone stealing my secret. Like, I don't have any. I think we're all just learning this together. I mean, I never stop learning. And that's something I tell my students. And I'm like, I say, you know, just because I'm teaching you and I've done this for a little while, that doesn't mean I'm not learning something almost every day. You know, I like to absorb knowledge and see where the industry is going, you know, especially with streaming being the primary music consumption now. You know, there's always things to be learned about mastering for that and, and who's changing their standards and all this stuff. So there's always stuff to learn. So I do miss that aspect of it. That's why I try to check in. You know, there's some people that are still really informative on there, but for me, it just got to be too much of a energy and time suck to, and I know that I could just not look at it every day, but I know that I, the kind of personality that I have, if I don't just remove myself from it, because by doing that, I don't see, you know, when somebody posts, sometimes that shows up in the newsfeed, so-and-so posted this. For me, I need to just not even see that so I don't even get tempted to start contributing. But if I want to check in, I can still see it somehow. I can see if there's any relevant threads that I may want to chime in on. But I just had to, I think for mental health reasons and time reasons, I just had to be like, I need a break from this. And it's probably not permanent, but that's that's where I'm at right now. So that's interesting timing that you asked that question. I think it's interesting that there's so many of these forums out there and they all come in different levels too, you know, different skill levels. And as audio professionals, I think sometimes the temptation is just to say, oh, it's a forum about audio. I should join. Whereas in reality, not always because your skill level may be of such a level that there's so many new people coming up that are learning. And granted, sometimes I got to be honest, I, I'm the grumpy guy on some, when it comes to some of these forums, I'll see some questions and I'm just like, what? Why is this person asking this? And then I realize, yep. oh, this is like a public kind of, this is everybody. Yeah. This is, there's some new people here. There's some old people here. And I, and I have to like take my grumpiness back a bit. And yeah, I think, I think the mastering one just started to get too big and it was a lot of the same questions over and over and it was starting to get repetitive. And I've written some articles for the pro audio files because again, out of repetition, if I'm, if I'm writing the same email over and over to a client, that's when a light bulb goes off and says, you know, this should probably be an article. The pro audio files have been great about publishing pretty much everything I send him. I really only do articles when kind of like when lightning strikes, you know, when that moment hits me like, oh, this needs to be an article and I have time to squeeze it in. I've thought about making like a mastering engineers therapy group where we don't talk about LUFS or <laughs> metadata, just kind of like your program, but for specifically mastering, you know, people to chat about not how to make a DDP, but how is business going? What are some trends you're seeing? What are some annoyances you're seeing? Things like that. I, I thought about doing that, but again, I, I don't want to manage another Facebook group. Exactly. And it's great that people are hungry to learn. And I, again, I've, I've spent a lot of time answering questions and I'm not saying I'm above doing that or against doing that, but I certainly needed a break this fall and We'll see how that goes. But sometimes you see some questions and, and it makes me wonder, because those groups have moderators, it makes me wonder some of the things that don't get through that filter of the moderator. Oh, I'd hate, I'd um, hate to be a moderator <laughs> on, a, on a forum like that in any way, shape, or form. I'd hate to have to sort through all that stuff. I think that my, the, the grumpy dark side of me would come out. Yeah, so again, I just had to just shut that all off because I knew even if I saw some stuff, I'd be too tempted to join in and... I miss some of the people. There's some great knowledgeable people and it's all good. It's just, for me personally, it was time to take a break. On the topic of diet really quick, before we started, we were talking about eating poorly over the holidays. 
and you were talking about some diet. You you had some some great points to talk about. You want to share that? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a direct correlation between the success of my business and my health. You know, I'm not happy about that. So I, that's something I need to find a balance on too. Is you know, just eating better and taking better care of myself, so that I can be around for a longer period of time. Because it's just so easy to get in routine of working and not taking care of yourself. And that's definitely one of my goals is to just be eating better and smarter and and trying to get more active. Because I just it's such a sedentary job, as we all know, but it's something you can lose sight of when you're busy, like building a business and running a business all by yourself. Usually going to the gym is takes a back seat and something I need to work on. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because we, we get so hyper-focused on what it is we're trying to accomplish yet. We fail to realize that it's like a car. It's like a gas powered car. You just want to drive, but then you fail to realize, oh, I have to put gas in the car. And that I'm making an analogy here, of course, of gas and food. But in that scenario, if we eat poorly and we don't take care of our health and we get sick, like I have gotten sick over this holiday season, it really can just throw everything. It challenges your motivation is what it does. Because I tell you, when I was sick, I did not want to, I didn't want to do shit. Yeah. And it's amazing how I feel like sometimes your body and and your brain know when you have a little break coming up and then it's like, okay, I can get sick right now. I'm just going to let it all out and you're going to get a cold, you're going to get the flu. And then it's almost like it knows when you have a little tiny window. Sometimes it doesn't, but it's interesting how that works. Yeah. I mean, just as I'm getting older, I'm going to turn 40 in a year and I don't want to be spending time going to doctor's appointments and waiting at the pharmacy for medications and screwing around with the health insurance company about bills. You know, I want to be working. So I need to take care of myself so I don't even have to waste time doing that stuff. It's a huge time suck. I can I can already tell just in the little bit of stuff I'm dealing with now, which is basically nothing. I can't imagine, you know, having a more serious illness or anything like that and how much time and resources that consumes. So that's, I guess, another one of my fears, like we talked about earlier, is I want to stay healthy so I don't have to deal with that. Well, I got to say that getting a Fitbit as a Christmas present really is working for me because it's making me pay attention to this tracks my sleep patterns, my heart rate, the amount of steps I'm getting. And of course I'm on this, the Fitbit website competing with my wife and various relatives. And when you see, Oh, I've only gotten a couple thousand steps today because I've been sitting here on my ass and everybody else is moving around. It really kind of shifts your thinking a bit. And, And it also gets you a little competitive. Yeah, I do have the Apple Watch. I need to look at the health portion of it more than the notifications portion of it. But that's also something to to work on this year is just paying more attention to that. But yeah, it's great. Yeah, pay more attention to your health than than all the notifications coming in. Yeah. We're almost out of time. I want to make sure and mention that for the audience, if if you want to check Justin out online, he's at mysteryroommastering.com and justincarlperkins.com. So will we see you at NAMM? Yep. Actually looking forward to that because it's been a rough winter. We had, even on uh, Halloween, we had a pretty big snowstorm. Like it looked like Christmas on Halloween, but in reverse on, on Christmas, we had no snow. So it's, the weather's just been getting really weird. But what I love about Nam is just, and this is going to sound so lame, but just being able to walk outside and get fresh air. In the Midwest here, we basically run from our house to our car, from our car to our place of work, from our car to the store. You know, we don't really get to you go a lot of months without really just taking in a deep breath of fresh air outside. So I love NAM. It's a good getaway for people in the Midwest. 
And, you know, you, you meet some nice people at the trade show and that stuff, but it's just, it's a great excuse to kind of take a vacation, but kind of feel like you're still working and it's just a good thing. So yeah, I'll definitely see you at NAM, and I look forward to seeing your panel with the other podcasters. I don't know if this will be on before NAM. Yeah, this is going to be out, this will be out next week. Oh, wow. So yeah, well, if anybody's listening to this and wants to meet up at NAM, you know, find me on Facebook. I still check Facebook all the time. I just left all those groups, but find me on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, any of that stuff. I think like most people, I check that stuff all the time. It'd be great to meet up if you'd like to. Justin, it has been great to see you and hear how things have been going and, and your thoughts on things. Uh, as yeah, usual, thanks for having I, me back. Oh yeah, it's 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 great to have you back. I, I always, whenever I have a, uh, I mentioned it in my monologue, Anytime I have a mastering question about anything mastering related, I always feel compelled to, to reach out to you. I feel like you have a, a particular viewpoint and wisdom that I really respect, and I enjoy talking with you about it. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm definitely happy to help. It's something I like to do, and thanks for having me on, and thanks for having me back, because, yeah, a lot of things did change in the last two years, and I hope the next two years are great, but a little more... I don't say quieter, but a little more consistent. I'm going to be in this space for a while and just keep on doing it. All right. Well, we'll talk to you later, Justin. Thanks All for right, being with me. Take care. Yep. See you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Okay. Justin Perkins here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being with me here today. Happy New Year once again. And thank you all for being here today. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right. Pretty affordable. Head on over to CaliAudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Want to thank everybody that helped out with the show. That includes Anne-Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme music, and the silky voice of Mr. Chuck Smith. As per usual, connect with me on LinkedIn. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware... Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio... This is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.